Hey everyone, this is Chad. I appreciate you taking time to listen to my sermon. It will start in a moment, but first I want to let you know about something you might find beneficial. For every sermon series, we produce a booklet full of thought-provoking questions, extra Bible passages, family activities, and discussion starters, and personal challenges. We give these out to the people in our church, but now we want to make them available to you. To get it, just visit the series page on our site and click on the series booklet button. For this series, the page is creeksidebiblechurch.org slash quietwrath. I really do hope you'll take advantage of this. They're a great resource. And just one more thing. If this sermon is impactful, would you do me a favor and email us at respond at creekside.me? That would be awesome. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that you will learn and live more fully for Jesus. When I was eight years old, I spent what felt like forever, maybe just an hour, uh, maybe a couple of hours, uh, in an upstairs bedroom with an aunt and my two sisters while a, a man downstairs, an angry man downstairs, an angry drunk man downstairs, broke everything in our living room, threatening my mom. From a young age, I knew just the power and the devastation and the fear uh, that, that anger can bring. I look around our world today, and especially our country, and it seems that we have become angry. There's just angry people all around us, and expressing that anger all the time, and uh, I mean, just the riots a few weeks ago, and uh, this is nothing, I'm not talking about the protests, I don't want to make political statements, but the people rioting, I mean, there's some anger there, right? And they were looking, it's obvious, for an opportunity to express that anger. I just heard the other day, and I think I'd heard this somewhere along the lines, that this generation that's kind of coming out of high school, going into college, is the is the first fatherless generation. They're calling them the fatherless generation because they've been without dads. And, and that anger is just coming out, that anger of not having uh, the family structure that, that God designed, that people uh, innately understand that they should have. The anger just pours out. And it seems that as our culture becomes more angry, it's easy for us to get wrapped up in that and to be more angry. I, I see constantly people having to say, I have to leave Facebook because it's just making me so angry. And it's just like, wow, we have, we have an anger problem. These are Christian people. Like, they're, they're just angry. And, and I think that we've seen in this series, hopefully we've, we've, we've come to grips with what was so easy for me to come to grips with as a young kid, that, that anger is bad and anger will shatter living rooms and homes and anger will leave... Uh, a terrible wake in its, uh, in its path. But at the same time, we still have anger and we're still left to deal with it. I'll be uh, just honest with you here at the sake of sounding like I'm bragging, but this sermon series has been life-changing for me. I'm finding myself be 
just far less angry and, and just uh, being able to say, wait, I, I feel triggered towards anger and I need to replace that anger with compassion as we saw last week and something that's useful and just that, that trigger in my head. People don't even know, but I'm, I'm starting to feel sorry for people who used to would have made me angry, but it's like, well, look at this problem they have. I don't say that out loud because that, you know, that doesn't ever remove anger, but, but, but it's working on me, but I, but I still have these moments of anger, and I don't want them. I don't want moments of anger because when I'm angry, I just remind myself of a man who broke everything in my living room. Uh, I don't act like that, but the anger was the root cause of that. That man grew up in a very poor home that led him to be an angry person, and, and, and I don't want to look anything like that. I don't want to look anything like that. I don't want to look like that in the words I say. I don't want to look like that in the feelings I feel. I don't want to look like that. And uh, it's easy for us to go like, hey, anger is foolish. We've talked about that. Anger is connected to murder. That's kind of out there because it tears at the creative and salvific work of God. And uh, we've seen that anger is bad always, even if it's not always sinful. But it's always bad for us to be angry if uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop then uh, an angry heart is the devil's bedroom and we saw that antidote number one to anger was considering all of our interactions in light of the gospel story the story of Jesus coming to earth and dying for us and then rising again so our sins could be forgiven and and we saw last week that that if we can just interpret our actions with that story in mind, that I didn't deserve grace, but God gave it to me, then we have a chance to be compassionate or tenderhearted and useful to a person instead of just reacting in anger. And that's been so helpful for me. Uh, but today I want to give you something that, and I don't know if there's a word for this. I tried Googling a word for this, but I didn't find one. But, but something that's in between the theoretical and the practical, So somewhere down the middle of those two things, because we've been talking a little bit in theory, but this morning I want to give you something that I think practically you can do, and it comes from Colossians 3, 5 is where we'll begin, and and I think that that we can find some, a practical response to this series that we can put into place daily that, that I believe really will help us start to remove more and more anger from our own lives. And here's what Paul says in verse 5 of Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Super strong language. Put to death is pretty strong, right? If you really think about what that means, put to death, like that's strong, that's forceful. But in Greek, it's even, it's even more forceful and strong. It's like, it's like cut off and dismember and it's like it's kind of gruesome language to describe how serious it is that we would remove these sins from our lives and in fact these sins are all except for greed sexual sins and Paul is saying look there is a way that you ought to live as a person who has become a Christian a person whose citizenship as the Bible describes it has been transferred from earth to heaven There's a way that you should live, and oftentimes it's contrary to how you feel. Oftentimes it's contrary to how the world tells you you should live or how the world describes a good life. And specifically, we know this, uh, one of the areas that that's true is in the area of sexual sin. 
The world puts sexual sin on a pedestal, and Paul says, hey, remove these sexually wrong, deviant things from your life. In fact, don't just remove them. Cut them off. Kill them because they are contrary to the way that a Christian should live. And then he says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Now notice this. Now it's set up. He says, look, here here are some sins, some sexual sins that you should remove from your life. And here's why. It's because of things like these that the wrath of God is coming. Now, I'm not going to dive deeply into the wrath of God because next week, Matt Connery will be beginning a four-week sermon series where he talks about the wrath of God, where he talks about why it's okay for God to be angry when we've just spent four weeks talking about how we shouldn't be angry, why God appears to be angry in the Old Testament, uh, why there's such a thing as hell if God is all loving, uh, all of those things. But just recognize this morning before we open up that topic next week that the wrath of God is coming. And all who do not follow Jesus will experience the wrath of God. And Paul here says, hey, the reason it's coming is because of sins such as these. Well, you keep that in your heads because we're going to flip to the topic of anger in just a second. But keep that in your heads. And then he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. He says, look, if you're a Christian then sexual sins and the sins I'm going to say next, they were the sins that you committed before you became a new creation in Christ. So look, just as we set this up, sexual sins included, but the sins of anger that we're about to read. If you are a Christian, then here's what you need to know. First of all, You should remove these sins because these are the types of sins that caused you to need to be a Christian in the first place, that caused the death of Jesus to be necessary. And if you're a Christian, then you should not walk in the way that you once lived because you have become a new creation in Christ. Your citizenship is no longer on earth, it's in heaven. You are a different person altogether, and so there's a new way to live your life. And if you are living The way that you used to live, you were living in contradiction to the life that you have in Jesus. Now, if you aren't a Christian, let me just pause and say this about sexual sin and the sins of anger that we'll read in just a second. It's really important that you do understand that the wrath of God is coming because of these things. And when Paul looks at you who's not a Christian and says remove these things, he doesn't just mean for you, you need to try harder, you need to do your best, you need to to, to work harder to get rid of anger, you need to count to ten, you need to try not to look at women the way that you've looked at women for so long. What he means is that you need to become a Christian because there is no other way to remove the guilt of these sins from, from your soul, from your hearts except through Jesus. And the story that I've already alluded to is that Jesus came to earth. He died on a cross. He suffered not just the worst physical death that you can imagine, but he suffered the worst spiritual death. He, he literally took on himself on a cross hell. 
And then he was buried and he rose again and he did all of that so that your sins might be forgiven. And the reality is for Paul that God's wrath is coming because of those things, but they can be removed, not just in morality, they can be removed from your conscience and your soul because of what Jesus has done. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe, I believe that you came and you died for me and you rose again and I give my life to you because of that incredibly gracious gift. That's how you can remove these sins. And I know that whether Christian or not Christian, you feel the guilt of these sins, and you may even feel the fear of these sins. You may feel uh, that God cannot look down upon you and love you the way that you want to be loved by God or, or forgive you the way that you want to be forgiven or, or treat you the way that you, ought to be, uh, that you want to be treated because you know that you ought to be treated differently. And Paul says for, for you who are Christians and not Christians, look, you have to get rid of it. And you can get rid of it if you will become a Christian because you will have a new life. And then he says in verses 8 and 9, but you must also rid yourselves of all of these. Now, pause. Let's just pause. Don't read them on the screens. Pause. Now, if you're a Christian and you've grown up in the church, then you very well know that we as Christians think people should get rid of their sexual sins, right? I mean, that's just part of the American church culture. For a lot of people outside of, of the American culture, church culture, like what separates us from them is like nothing other than we don't think that you should have sex before you're married. That's like the big separator between Christians and non-Christians in a non-Christian's mind. Uh, and, and so we agree with all of those. But now I just want you to pay such careful attention to this. Because Paul has set this up. The wrath of God is coming because of these things. This is not the way that you ought to live as a Christian. And they're all sins of anger. These things, anger rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since, and we'll hold off there. You must rid yourselves of anger and all of the sins that come from anger. That's what Paul is saying to us. And it's it's the language of clothing, and I find that so fascinating. It's the language of clothing. He's saying, look, it's like taking your clothes off that you used to wear so that you might wear new and better clothes. I don't know if you are a sports fan, but in the sports world, you put on clothing that represents the team that you like. If you're a Blazers fan, you wear a Blazers shirt. If you're a Cowboys fan, you wear a Cowboys shirt. If you're a Winterhawks fan, you wear a Winterhawks shirt. This is just what you do. It would be weird to walk around saying, I am a diehard Blazers fan while wearing a Lakers shirt. Nobody would believe you. People would think you were a little weird, a little bit off if you're a sports person. It would just be a little bit strange to wear the clothing of, of the Lakers when you're a Blazers fan. You just don't do that, right? And this is what Paul is getting at here. When you became a new creation in Christ, when you gave your life to Jesus, the Bible tells us that you become born again. You become something entirely different than you used to be. And now you ought to take off the clothes that you used to wear. 
you could explain it like this if you're not a, a sports person. It would be like if you had worked at a gas station for a really long time and then you became a lawyer and you walked into the courtroom wearing your gas station attendant clothing, right? That would be strange. Or vice versa, if you were a lawyer and you decided to get into the gas industry and you showed up in your suit. That would be weird to see a person wearing a suit pumping your gas and it would be weird if your lawyer showed up in, in gas station clothing, right? That would not make sense. It would be off. We would all see clearly that that was wrong. And this is what Paul is saying. As a Christian, you understand that the wrath of God was coming because of these sexual sins that he's listed and because of these sins of anger. And you used to walk in a different way, but now you walk in a new way. And therefore, you must rid yourselves. You must take off these clothes that you used to wear. Now, the first sin that he lists is anger. And it's the same word that we've been examining in this series in the New Testament. And James Dunn, who is the author of the New International Greek Testament Commentary. If you ever write a book with that many words in the title, you're, you're a smart guy. Uh, he says this, what is in view is such a powerful emotion that only God can be trusted to exercise it fairly. And I think this is kind of why anger is seen as bad, if not sinful, in the New Testament, is because we can't be trusted with anger as, as flawed, failed human beings. We will do things in our anger that are bad. If you let, and we've talked about this, anger sit, fester, be a part of you long enough, then eventually it's going to result in some really bad things, and you'll never be able to get rid of it aside from the power of God. And so he says, get rid of anger and rage, which is almost synonymous, but it might be a more emotional response. We feel anger on the inside and perhaps rage is what we express on the outside, but that doesn't exactly line up in Greek. He says to get rid of malice, which refers to all badness or wickedness. Uh, in this context, it probably refers to spitefulness or malice as is translated in the NIV, which is a desire to do ill will towards somebody. Get rid of that. Get rid of your anger, get rid of your rage, and get rid of your, your desire to do or have bad things done to a person because of the anger that you feel. Get rid of all slander, which is to say bad things about somebody in the simplest uh, way you can define that. To say bad things, stop saying bad things about people because of anger. Get rid of all filthy language, which refers to obscene language, or in this context, probably more abusive speech. That's what we do to people when we're angry with them, right? We feel a need to say things that we, we don't usually say, and to say things about people that we never thought we would say to them. And, and Paul is saying, get rid of that. And it's clear. It's so clear to me. That Paul is saying, if you are a Christian, if you have become a Christian, then this is not proper clothing. You need to take away anger and rage and malice and saying jerky things to people, making threats at people. It's just not right for a Christian. And I know so many Christians myself sometimes included, that allow for these things to become part of the everyday experience. And if you were going down a list of sins, these sins of anger would be pretty far down. In a marriage, you would think like, well, yeah, I yell at them, or yeah, I say things that are unimaginable and I'd be embarrassed to hear anybody else 
uh, have anybody else hear what I've said to my spouse, but I don't commit adultery or I don't have a pornography problem, whatever it might be. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I've never hit them. But Paul is saying like, look, these sins are unbecoming of Christians. They are wrong. They are dead wrong. And in fact, these are the very types of things that require the wrath of God to come so that God can continue to be a just God. They're the very reasons that Jesus had to be nailed, hung to a cross. The abusive speech that you use. I mean, come on, think of even further down the line here. In marriage, it's so easy to see, but, but you, you go to work and, and you have that coworker, and you never yell at them to their face, but you sure spend a lot of time talking to other people about them and how bad they are and how you wish they'd get fired and how they're no good at their jobs and all that. And Paul says, this is the reason that the wrath of God had to come. This is not in line with Christianity. And you wonder, by the way, as you go to work, why nobody really thinks highly of Christianity and, and and really doesn't believe that you're a Christian, even though you have these things that Paul has declared are not becoming of Christians. It's not just the sexual sins. It's not just the sins that we so easily harp on in the Christian faith that are not becoming of Christians. It's these sins of anger that Paul is saying, look, this is the clothing that you used to wear. But it's not the clothing of a Christian. It's not the clothing of a Christian. He says in verses 9 through 11, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there's no Jew or, or Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He says, past tense, you've already become a new creation in Christ. Jesus, in a very famous story, language that, that was just part of church culture for years and years and years, is born again. Have you been born again? That's what Christians say. Have you been born again? But we don't act like we've been born again, even if, we've said, even if we would say that we have been born again as Christians. Paul says that we are a new creation. We have new citizenship in heaven. What the Bible describes for us is that when you become a Christian, you become something entirely wholly different. That's profound, right? And we're really careful in this church, and I think the modern kind of church culture has really tried to be careful of, of suggesting that when you become a Christian, everything immediately is going to be fixed. We try not to use that language. Uh, the reality is everything will not immediately be fixed. Not every addiction will immediately go away, although sometimes they do. Not every financial difficulty will suddenly be glossed over and you'll have all that you ever wanted or needed. That's, that's not the reality. But the reality is while everything may not be fixed, everything will be different. And I think we have, because of our, our, our desire not to make people believe that everything will be fixed, we have forgotten to tell people that everything should be different. You may still have an addiction, but you will never want to give in to that addiction again, and you will feel as though, and you will have the power to no longer give in to that thing that you had no power over before. And so Paul here says, look, get rid of these sins of anger. Because they are unbecoming of what it means to be a Christian. They are the reason that Jesus had to die on a cross. They are part of why God had to come, will come back and pour out his wrath on unbelievers. 
But also know this, that you are an entirely new person in Christ. And you ought to be a person that is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. This is a big deal. And God, just the way he worked and his timing, and this isn't in my notes, so hopefully I don't babble through it. But I was listening to a podcast this week. No, it wasn't a podcast. It was a book. I was listening to a book. It's a preaching book. And uh, in the book, they, they talk about Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards had this view of knowledge that was really twofold. And he basically said that all of the problems that we still have when we become Christians are wrapped up in us not having this secondary knowledge. And the way that he would split this is uh, mental assertion of something like, I know that Jesus died for my sins versus a knowledge that is, and I don't think he'd use this language, but is more experiential in nature. It's knowledge that actually changes us in a profound way. Uh, The example that the book gave was of Timothy Keller, who's the author of the book, counseling a girl. And she says, hey, I know that I can find all my hope and joy and peace and everything in my relationship with God. But what I really experience is that my joy and my hope and my peace come when this boy at school shows me attention and loves me. And he hasn't recently, and so I'm becoming depressed. And this girl was struggling with depression. And Timothy Keller said, it hit me in that moment that that this girl, yeah, she understood something to be true, but she didn't really know the peace and the joy that God can bring. And here, I think Paul says something that is so important for us as Christians with that in mind, that we are being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And I I believe that a lot of Christians I know, they understand the things of God. They understand who God is. They understand that God loves them. They understand the tenets of the gospel that we've laid out already this morning. They understand that Jesus loves them and all of that stuff. But they're not really increasing in their life-changing knowledge of God. The depth of their understanding is not actually being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. They become stagnant, not because they aren't learning, but because they're not allowing for that knowledge to really change their hearts. And Paul here says, you've become a new creation and your growth comes as you understand God. When I first read that, I was like, I know a lot of people who don't grow at all and, and they know a lot and they keep learning things and they keep listening to sermons and they leave my sermons feeling better, uh, more knowledgeable and all that. But I think what Paul is getting at is this, this Jonathan Edwards type of knowledge where it's like it hits us and it sinks in. And if that's not happening to you, then you're going to have a tough time. You're going to have a tough time removing anger because Paul says, look, your old self is gone and now this is the experience of Christians that, that we're gaining knowledge and that knowledge is actually renewing us. It's changing us. It's propelling us forward. It's guiding us. And I would just ask, especially of you who are consistent in reading your Bibles and you're here at church every week and you might listen to some podcasts yourself and you listen to other people's sermons, are you just growing in your intellect? 
Are you actually growing in your understanding of God and allowing that to shape your life? Because it appears that so many Christians aren't, especially given what Paul says next. And that's that, that part about there's neither Jew or Gentile. And all this is meant to be synonymous. It, it doesn't matter who these people are specifically because what Paul is saying is that in Christ, there's total unity. And that's so important, right? Because when you look around at our churches today, there's complete disunity. There's tons of anger that exists between Christians. It's wrapped up in political views. It's wrapped up in who you vote for, which comes down oftentimes to political views. It's wrapped up in, in how you do church or, or the, even like when it gets really petty, like who you like to listen to as a pastor and minor theological differences. And Paul's like, hey, anger, get rid of it. And by the way, if people are in Christ, there's no division anymore. We should be totally unified. I would even offer that this should, should help us to not be angry at those that aren't Christians because we realize that the only real difference between us who have given our lives to Jesus and those who have not given their lives to Jesus is Jesus. It's the only thing that separates us. We can point to morality and we can be so annoyed that the world doesn't have the same morality as us or that the world is trying to push us down and, and we feel that as Christians more and more in our culture today, do we not? Like people don't like us and they act like we're idiots because, I don't know, we don't have high standards for science or we're all jerks and there's these things said about Christians that are, that are just fundamentally false. I mean, that we, we have created modern science as Christians and we love people far more and if you look at the history of the church and even what's happening today there's a few bad apples but Christians are the ones that are serving the poor and broken beyond anybody else the widows and the orphans beyond anybody else so there's these things that are said about us that are fundamentally false and it's so easy for us to get angry but the only difference between those who, who say bad things about Christians and we who are Christians are that we became Christians we don't need to be on some moral high horse if we weren't Christians, we'd be doing the same thing. And our goal should be to lead people to Jesus, not to be angry that people aren't thinking just like us. And I believe that we can do this as we grow in our knowledge as God as creator. And it's so interesting, if you go back in the Old Testament, from the earliest time, there was this concept of that knowledge. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we understand that in creation, we were something valuable and important. And God says to that creation in Genesis 2, 17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then in Genesis 3, 5, these people choose to eat from the knowledge or from this tree. And it says, for God knows, or the Satan's trying to get them to eat from this tree. And it says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There seems to be this constant battle that we'll understand God or understand ourselves and Satan tries to twist and turn and help us and cause us to see ourselves differently. And in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, Paul says this. It's very similar to what he said to us in chapter 3. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. 
through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I think that one of the most practical things you can do if you're struggling with anger is begin to really deeply understand who we are as people according to God and who God is according to God. He continues, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, there's two parts to this that are so helpful with, with anger and dealing with anger and removing anger altogether. And the first is, look what God declares you to be. I want you to notice that because I think so much of anger comes, and we talked about this in, in the family sermon series a while back. Anger comes from what is in us, not what comes at us. And here God declares who you are if you are a Christian. He says you are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. Let me be honest with you. If you feel like an unwanted person, it's going to be very hard not to give in to anger, not to have anger be a part of your life. If you have a poor relationship with your parents, you're probably going to be a more angry person. You don't want to know why? Because something inside of you is still fighting for the love that you knew inside that you should have, that you should obtain. And so you're going to find yourself being more angry and somebody will do something little and, and anger will pour out of you because, because of what is in you. And, and God comes along and says, hey, if you'll give yourself to me, then one of the identifiers of you can become chosen. So profound. I go from, I went from being a person who wasn't chosen to a person who was chosen. And then God says, we're holy. So many of you think there's nothing unique about you. There's nothing that sets you apart. There's nothing that makes you special. And I'm telling you that that's going to make you a more angry person. When you find something that you're like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. And somebody comes along and says, they're better than you. That's going to make you so angry because you'll go, oh, I'm not set apart. And this word holy means set apart. And if you're a Christian, you've been set apart for Jesus and he's gifted you and equipped you and he, he's made you something entirely different and entirely better than you used to be. And so when somebody comes along and says, hey, you're not that good at that or you have a, a, a job and, and your boss says, hey, we have a performance problem here. You can still walk away not angry because you have been set apart for something greater and, and, and then loved. So many people are so angry because they have not experienced love the way that God designed us to experience love. And God looks at us in the middle of this passage and says, look, 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 stop being angry. It's unbecoming of what a Christian is. And by the way, let me tell you who you are if you're a Christian. You're a chosen, holy, 
loved person. Chosen, holy, and loved person. It's like this, like, hey, you're being treated unfairly. Well, God chose you, and he gave you a purpose, and he loves you. He treated you unfairly, too. But he did a bunch of great things for you that you didn't deserve. You're being blamed for something that isn't your fault, which, by the way, I'm reading from the list of things that make us angry that we talked about in the first sermon. I'm being blamed for something that is not my fault. That's okay. God chose you, and he gave you a purpose, and he loves you. Uh, You or your family haven't been treated with respect. That's okay. God chose you, and he he set you apart, and he loves you. That person isn't on your side. God is. He chose you, and he set you apart, and he loves you. That person dared to tell you you were wrong. That's okay. God chose you, and he set you apart, and he loves you. I'm telling you, this this is a big deal. This should have been its own sermon, but it didn't click until too late. Part of the reason you're angry is because you don't feel loved, you don't feel special, and you don't feel set apart. And in Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are all of those things. And it takes away, I'm telling you, it will take away the power that people have over you. And then Paul says, okay, the old clothes are off. We don't want you running around naked. So what are you supposed to put on? And he says, put these things on, compassion, which is just a sense of unhappiness at the ills of others, at the problems that others experience. Put on kindness, which again, from last week's sermon, means profitable or usefulness to another person. Put on humility, which means to lower yourself. Put on gentleness, which means meekness or mildness. Put on patience, which, which is to suffer long or to be slow to anger. Put on forgiveness. And he says, as the Lord forgave you, which is so much, considering all the things that you have done wrong. And then he says, to bear with each other, which which means to suffer with one another and then to forgive as God forgave you, which really is a different word than he's used before, and it means to do a person a favor or to be gracious, to benefit a person despite what that person has done. And he ends saying, hey, now you've put the new clothing on. I want you to tie them all together. I want you to put the belt on of love. I want you to put the belt on of lowering yourself for the good of another person. Them above you is their good you pursue because of their value. That's how I always define love. It's lowering yourself for the good of another because you see something important in them. These words, again, could be sermons in and of themselves, but it's so important that you think through them. Because when somebody does something that makes you mad, it's so easy to say, oh, anger, anger, anger. But how much better is compassion? How much better is it to feel sorry that a person needs to be a jerk to you? I mean, when your boss or your spouse or your kid or whatever just says something mean, so much better, more useful to go, what in them caused that? How come they don't feel loved? How come they don't feel chosen? How come they don't feel special? So much so that they had to do that to me in order to gain some level of satisfaction. Compassion's so much better than anger and kindness. I mean, man, somebody says something just jerky to you. If you can just train yourself to be like, what can I do to benefit them? It totally changes the paradigm. I've been trying this in in my marriage 
uh, all week, and it's been it's been really good. It's been really helpful for us. Like, and Bryn doesn't say that many jerky things, but she said a couple this week. And uh, don't tell her I told you. And and I'm like instantly like I didn't tell her this, but I I'm softening my heart to you. Like, oh, you, you got a problem, Bryn? And I'm not gonna tell you. And and be like, what can I do to be beneficial to her? And and humility and gentleness and patience. We could go right down the list. And so here is the practical solution that I want to give you. I spent two months, and I've told you this before in a different context, a different sermon, but I spent two months as a summer missionary in Idaho, and I worked under a pastor, a a godly, wonderful man named Ken. I learned a lot from Ken. And every single morning, this man who didn't seem to have an angry bone in his body, he was calm, he was soft-spoken, he was radically different than me. Uh, Every morning, Ken would wake up, he would open his Bible to Colossians 3, and he would go through this list of things. He, He would consciously say to himself and ask for God's help, God, help me to remove sexual immorality and impurity, and lust, and evil desires, and greed. Today, he'd go through one by one by one, and he'd say, I am, in some mental way, taking off these things, and God, help me to remove anger, and rage, and malice, and slander, and filthy language from my lips, and help me to remove lying. And he said, go one by one, and say, I'm taking that off. I'm going to remove that. I'm getting rid of it. And he said, he told me this. It's just a, a, a conversation that I stuck with me forever. He said, I just think of it as like clothing and I'm just one by one, I'm removing the shirt of lying and the shirt of wrath and the shirt of anger and I'm just, I'm taking them off. I don't know why he wore so many shirts, but I'm taking them off. And then he would sit and he'd pray and he'd say, God, instead, help me to put these things on. Help me to put on compassion. And, and I don't know, I think he might even made the hand motion. Help me to put on compassion. Help me to put on kindness and humility and gentleness. And help me to put on patience and forgiveness. And help me to put on long-suffering. And help me to put on forgiveness, uh, profitableness. And what I, I just kind of want to end this sermon series with is saying two things. One, if you're a person who finds yourself being angry often, then I think this could be a really valuable, important exercise for you. Uh, in between theoretical, I know, and practical, I know. Uh, but somewhere down the middle, I think you should get up. If you just find yourself being an angry person and, and you're going, man, Chad, I get that it's wrong now. I get that it, it's probably not a good idea. It's foolish and it, it leads to bad things. I get all that, but it's such a struggle for me because when they say that thing, it all goes out the window. I would just say, maybe wake up every day and just go through Colossians 3 and say, I'm taking off these things and I'm putting on these other things. And throughout the day, you may have to go, whoop, put the, put the wrong shirt on there for a minute. But let me take it off again and try to put back on compassion or kindness. Let me do it again because I, I, I did the wrong thing and it was unbecoming of a Christian. And so I want to say that maybe some of you, maybe not all of you, maybe some, I mean, some people are just not built for anger. Some people are not angry people. Uh, but maybe some of us, need to just wake up every morning and make that a part of our daily routine. God, I'm taking off the old clothes and I'm putting on the new clothes because I know that the wrath, your wrath is coming because of things such as those bad ones and I know that to live as a Christian is to live with different clothes on. And then I just want to finish with the most important thing and 
that is this. If you're not a Christian, you need to become one. Because anger is bad. And Jesus came and he died for you and he died for so many good reasons. I could sit up here and, and honestly, and I'm not just saying this, I could honestly list off without thinking a couple hundred reasons that I am so thankful that I have become a Christian. So thankful. But one of those reasons is that it gives me a fighting chance to overcome my anger. Not, not just overcome it on a daily basis, to, but to be forgiven. I've done said such mean things to my wife. I've said such mean things to a lot of people. I've reacted in ways that are embarrassing um, and uh, that I should not be forgiven for. But Jesus has given me forgiveness, and so I don't sit in my guilt any longer because he came and he died for me. And if you're a person who struggled with anger, then let me just tell you that one of the best things you can do is give yourself to Jesus because it takes away. And you've done, if you're a person that knows anger, you've done so many bad things out of that anger. And you, even if you've shattered everything in a living room before, can become a Christian and be forgiven for those sins. And also, if you become a Christian, it will give you a chance to remove the anger that exists in your life. It gives you a fighting chance because as Paul says, love is what ties all of these things together, the compassion and the kindness and the gentleness, and without understanding the love of Jesus, you can never add these things to your life. At best, you will strip off the old things and you'll feel naked without that anger and that rage and that malice and that deceit. But when you become a Christian and you recognize the incredible grace of Jesus, then you can become a person that is gentle and kind and gracious because you have a perfect example in Jesus. And so I want to close this series by saying you need to become a Christian. And if you are a Christian, you need to turn your eyes upon Jesus. You need to fix your eyes upon the cross. Because when your eyes turn away from the cross, you no longer remember how chosen and how loved and how set apart you are. And you will fall right back into your old ways. But when your eyes are on Jesus, love comes in. And out of love comes compassion and grace and mercy and long-suffering and everything we've read. You will not remove anger by trying harder. You will remove anger by remembering how incredible Jesus is. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just ask, God, that that you would bring people to salvation, Lord. For every person that sits in front of me that's not a Christian, every person that's listening online that's not a Christian would give their lives to you. Pray they'd give themselves to you, God. For so many reasons, God, you know that I really believe it. For so many reasons, I pray that they would give their lives to you. But one is that I, I, I want the world to be a less angry place and I want my friends, people I love, the people that you love, which is everybody, to, to remove anger because none of us like it, God. None of us like it. I pray, God, for those who are Christians, and I pray, God, that you would help us to take off the clothes that are unbecoming of us, whether that be sexual sins or sins of anger, and to put on the new clothes, God, and to walk every day in light of who we have become in you, 
not living God like we used to, like the old creation, like we did before we were born again, but living God in light of who we've become in you, a, a chosen, set apart, loved people. Lord, I want us who love you to be known for a lot of things, but I pray that one of those things would be just our lack of anger. That no matter what comes, we show grace and kindness and compassion to people. And no matter what people say about us or, or whether they, they punch us and hit us, Lord, we, we would look at them and say, I love you. Because, because my Savior was mocked and punched and beaten and whipped and nailed to a cross and he had a crown of thorns placed on his head so that I might experience love. Let that be what people think of when they think of Christians. We love you, Jesus. I pray these things in your name. Amen.